Hey everybody, Magnus here. Um, listen, you guys, y you need to understand something, alright? The episode that you're about to hear, you gotta understand, I recorded this thing back in February, okay? And it's... It would seem to me to be a little bit disrespectful, or maybe not disrespectful, but it just seems uh, somehow inappropriate to release this episode without acknowledging the elephant in the room, all right? And so, um, basically, the, the show that you're about to hear, this is about the 1987 movie The Lost Boys, directed by... Joel Schumacher, and at the time that I record this, Schumacher died just a few days ago, and, you know, I thought about just releasing this episode as it is, and not gussying it up, or not including a eulogy, or something like that, and like I say, it just, it just seemed, I can't say disrespectful, because I, I never really knew the guy, but, obviously, but I at least wanted to mark the occasion, you know, that, uh, uh, of this man's death and my condolences to his family, his friends, you know, he was, he seemed, Joel Schumacher, again, it's not like I ever met the guy, but he just seemed very, uh, popular and very, uh, respected in the industry. And so, I wanted, number one, just to acknowledge that this happened. And so what I did was I just posted something up on uh, Facebook, the uh, Trennis Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group. I just put something up there and I thought, you know what? If I'm going to go to the trouble of writing it, it's not much harder to just take a minute and and read it out loud. So I'm just going to go ahead and do that. This is what I posted on the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group. I wrote, There are not very many filmmakers that I've wanted to meet. <clears throat> Confession. I've always been scared shitless of meeting George Lucas. Never meet your heroes, they say. And in his case, I think it would apply. But Joel Schumacher? He always seemed like he'd be an interesting guy to meet at the bar and knock back some beers with. He had an interesting career, he made some awesome movies, and I never thought he got the respect that he deserved. I would have wanted to meet him. Another confession. I enjoyed both of his Batman films. But the chance of ever meeting Joel Schumacher is gone forever. With deepest condolences to his friends and family, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. And I just wanted to put that out there, just include it as part of this episode. And I, I, I can't even completely explain, you know, why it is that this was so important to me, why it meant so much that I, at this point, I was ba I'm basically having to rebuild an episode that... You have to understand, guys, it was already completed. It was already finished. Um, I Everything was fully edited. Everything was balanced out, and everything was set up, ready to go. And this episode could have gone right out the door, but like I say, that just seemed 
I don't know, bad or wrong or inappropriate, perhaps. I don't know. So notwithstanding the fact that what you're about to hear, I recorded this on February the 29th, 2020. Um, obviously Joel Schumacher was alive at the time, you know, uh, me and Dave, we had no way of knowing, you know, what was happening, you know, what would happen in uh, a few months shortly before this episode's release. I wanted to just take this moment to just to say all of this. So anyway, so I doubt any of Joel Schumacher's, uh, friends or, or uh, family members, or uh, his peers. I doubt any of those people listen to my show, but just in the off chance that they do, maybe they'll get something out of this. I don't know. So, either way. That's pretty much it. So, enjoy the rest of the episode. Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and boys and girls, this is no exaggeration. This is the God's honest truth. I have been going through a serious vampire kick lately. I've been watching vampire movies. I've been reading vampire comics. Um, it, it was even so desperate. Right? This is how determined I was to find vampire content. Right? I even went back to the infamous Smallville episode Thirst, which isn't really vampires, but let's face it, it's kind of vampires. So I don't know why, I can't explain it, but for some reason I've just had a serious fixation on all things vampires lately and watching those movies, reading those comics, etc. And so I made mention of this to a certain podcaster, mentioned all of this to him. Hey man, this is what I've been doing and this is this is what I've been watching. And so a plan emerged. It was slowly formed and so it was agreed upon between me and this mystery guest who if you've seen the announcement for this episode, I'm kind of teasing nothing here because you already know who it is, but nevertheless, nevertheless. So a, a plan was hatched whereby me and the mystery guest, we would sit down and talk about 1987's The Lost Boys. And I speak here, of course, of a very dear friend of mine, longtime listener of the show, all-around good guy, Mr. Dave Atterbury. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here, as always. No, oh, happy to have you. Almost, I, I had to bite my tongue there, because I almost said, welcome back. Technically, uh. you've never been on Trinus Magnus Punch's reality before, so this is... We're, we're breaking new ground here a little bit, man. Okay, all right. I, I like it. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I had to think about that for a minute. And you're right. Yeah. So, it's awesome. It's good to be here. Uh, yeah, this is a good month. Lost Boys, '80s movies, right up my alley. So, mine as well. 
And being as you're sort of, let's face it, the guest of honor, right. uh, why don't you uh, take the dive on this thing first? Why don't you tell us, tell us about your origin story with this movie? Where did it all begin? And is this something that you've kept up with for all these years? Or are you rejoining it or rewatching it now for the first time in forever? Like, how, oh, no, this how one, have things I gone? I, I watch it pretty regularly. This one, this one is is aged well enough that it's in the regular. In fact, um, when I made the missus watch it again with me last night, um, she was like, "Didn't we just watch this?" Like, she was she kind of gave me that look. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, no, I I I this one hit me right at the perfect time. Um, I, I honestly was kind of. Uh, trying hard to remember the very first time I saw it. And I don't even know that I can, I've seen it so wow. many times, wow. but I, 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 I'm pretty sure it was just, I was doing the mental checklist of where was I at in my life at the time the movie came out. And I'm, I'm almost positive. This was a video, uh, rental for me. Mm -hmm. Um, oh. but it hit me right. Like right about 11, 12 is when I seriously got into like scary movies I started reading Stephen King, um, uh, yeah, scary movies, the whole nine yards had really kicked off about a year before this movie came out. So it was right up my alley, uh, to, you know, scary movie, but not quite so scary, mm -hmm. um, and vampires and, and as such. So, so yeah, so that's kind of, uh, and, and this one is, yeah, I've, I've always liked this movie. I feel like it's really held up well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, very brief version of origin story on it. So. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, wow. Golly. It, uh, was fairly, uh, different for myself. This movie came out as per my research. Uh, I think it was June, the something or other 1987. Mm -hmm. Now I cannot give you exact dates. Okay. Can I give you exact dates, but I'm pretty sure that my family and I, at the time that this movie was getting ready to come out, we were uh, gearing up to move from Odessa, Texas, you know, the land of Friday Night Lights and all that, uh, moving from there to Lubbock. You know, there's always some family stuff that goes into that. I don't want to dwell too much on that, except to say that we had other things on our minds at the, you know, at that time. And so I can't. And so, uh, you know, what were we doing on the exact date that this movie came out? I can't say, but I can tell you what the number one item of discussion was. Uh in uh, Casa de la Magnus at the time. So um, going forward from there, the what the folks would do, just because my brothers and I, we were starting to get a little bit old. I mean, I was in the, uh, I was still very young, very early in elementary school at the time. <clears throat> but my my brothers and I, they, they're both older than me. And so, you know, the oldest is, he's just about old enough now that the parents feel comfortable letting him babysit for at least a few hours. And so what they would do is they would have basically dates, you know, not every week, but just periodically. And so usually what they do is they would leave behind money so that we could, or either they would cook dinner for us or else they'd leave behind money so that we could order pizza or just do whatever it is that we were going to do. Mm. And then we just hang out all night. And so there was one particular night, I swear to think this was the night that the lost boys debuted on HBO. Uh huh. Uh, Dave, I'm really not sure. I think maybe the best way to say it is we spent approximately two crap loads of money on pizza yeah. because what would happen is 
I say money. Basically, they would leave behind a blank check. It's made out to dominoes, but then we just fill in the dollar amount. And so what me and my brothers agreed on is, you know what? We're not because, you know, it is like you're a kid. You always want to be older than you really are. So we're not kids anymore. We're all going to get our, our very own pizza. Every man gets one to himself. So oh, we, nice. and so, you know, this little kid and I've got like this, it, it was like a medium pizza. And so we spent, God. And so anyway, so we, we got the money and this was it. I mean, we had been building up to this thing all freaking week. Okay. We were so up for the yeah. game when it came to watching this movie on HBO it was going to be Friday night it was going to be this big deal and mm -hmm. we were going to we were going to eat more pizza than any human being should should endure and it was going to be the greatest thing ever and and oh my god it's like somehow for as excited as we were to see this movie it's like we were not excited enough you know yeah i i was not like especially when i was a kid i was sort of like the textbook sensitive child i really didn't go in for horror movies really at all okay yeah. But this there was something that was just for its time so slick and so modern about this movie and really got into it. And the fact that I, th I think the selling point for me was the vampire lore of of the film. When I was a kid, if you could just do some universe building for me, uh, yeah. you know, what does this mean? What's the significance of, of this other thing over here? Why are these things happening? If you can give me enough of that, I can buy into pretty much anything you're selling, you know, and mm. what I what I think captured my interest about this movie when I was a kid is that the director, Joel Schumacher, he gave you he, he doesn't overload you with information, but he gives you just enough so that you get the flavor of everything. But you don't have these big, luring these big, boring, like sort of drawn out scenes, just of long dialogue where characters are talking a lot, but saying nothing, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that was the real selling point for me. And so this has been, and again, I mean, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything like that. I'm just trying to tell you, Dave, this was, this is one of those few movies that you can remember from your kid where it's like instant classic. Yeah. And I just kind of want to compare that to you, like to the degree that you can really recall your first viewing of it. Were, were you instantly on board or was this one of those things oh, that no, kind of needed was. some time to bake? No, no, no. This one I love because because so I remember. Um, so when this movie came out, I had just passed the period in my life where I, I had ended my latchkey kid phase. So, um, uh, you so, know. Fourth, fifth grade for me, uh, mom was single, um, getting remarried. I spent a lot of time, latchkey kid, living with my grandparents. And that's when that was like my golden era of HBO. Grandpa mm -hmm. had a grandpa had HBO when most people didn't even have cable. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a retired army colonel and he did well for himself. And anyways, and so I spent all this time watching HBO. And one of the movies I'd liked a lot um, from a few years previous was Fright Night. Yeah. Um, you know, and I kind of dug it, but you know, uh, Lost Boys is is kind of like a better version of Fright Night. Yes. Uh, better cinematography, better acting, better actors. Um, I would say even better story, but yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I remember when this one came out would have been uh, for me personally. I'm I'm pretty sure I saw it on cable as well, uh, or or 
maybe rented it. Uh, but mm-hmm. I remember at the, at the time, I don't remember if it was the very first time I saw it, but I remember one of the first times I saw it. Like literally my room in our house was in the unfinished basement. And um, I was just down there, uh, had, uh, you know, a TV on a piece of carpet with a little with an old couch. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, I'd spent a lot of time watching movies by myself. And so I think I just came across it one time and I remember, um, yeah, loving it, you know, and, and I think I liked it for me, especially because I, I like I said before, I'd kind of gotten into scary movies a little bit, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I had a very weird neighbor that used to watch me after school uh, <laughs> before my parents got home. And like they were constantly watching the Friday the 13th and the and the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yeah, well, like, it was that thought, era, wasn't it? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it was so funny because like their whole their whole parenting method was cover your eyes, like whenever they thought it was too much for us. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to emphasize that's when I was in fifth grade, mind you, and oh. I was young for I was young for each grade. So this is like when I was like ten. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so but oh, I'd kind of gotten into I'd kind of gotten into scary stuff. I kind of I loved the 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 kind of thrill that it gave me to watch, yeah. you know, that kind of heart pumping, um, you know, and I had a, a beloved aunt of mine had given me, I was sitting there reading the Hobbit for like the umpteenth time, mm-hmm. uh, over one Thanksgiving and she'd given me it to read. She's mm-hmm. like, here, read this. If you know, I think you can read this and I think you'll like it. And that kind of hooked me on scares. And so when lost boys came out, you know, it was a perfect blend because, you know, <sighs> between 12 and, 15, you know, when you're a boy, like you, you know, it's not hard to make you laugh. <laughs> no, it, it really so, isn't. So this is like a horror comedy. You know, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen at the time. Plus it was scary and sexy and, you know, all these different, you know, things. It was like, oh, you know, and so, um, yeah, I have to say it was, it was a, a definite instant love, you know, the music. So eighties, like. Yeah. Um, well, and and that's the thing. Actually, I, I was hoping that we that we would get a chance to talk about that because mm-hmm. there, everyone has a gateway, you know, e, you know, into a movie. There's mm-hmm. if you enjoy a movie, sooner or later, there's going to be this one moment that comes along, and you're like, okay, I'm on board with this thing now. Yeah. And really, for me, the it really started with with the opening credits and Cry Little Sister. Mm-hmm. It was. It sounded so haunting, you know, there's this. And and it's strange to think, too, because like if you actually read the lyrics for that song, they really have nothing at all to do with what happens in the movie. But for some reason, it's like that's in a weird kind of way. That's almost like what makes it work. You know, it would be it would be a different song, I think, if it was suck my blood because I'm a vampire, you know, if if it was something a bit more topical, you know. Yeah. And and just uh, it was that sort of pan over shot of the carnival and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like for some reason, it's like that instantly set the tone yeah. of what this thing is going to be. And some opening credits are just that way. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, there are times when let's face it, it's kind of a slog. Not in this case. And plus, yeah. it's just so brief, too. It's like 30 seconds. You well, You can handle it. And I don't know. I mean, like if you watch 80s movies, it kind of became a fairly regular thing, regardless of genre. 
mm-hmm. to to have this really on the nose theme song. Right. You know, to the point of where some were written for the movie, you know, that included either the title or even saying about the movie. Um, you know, uh, I'm looking at you, Fletch. Um, yeah. Some other movies. <laughs> and so, you know, and sometimes they're great and they're catchy and they're memorable. And sometimes they're they're terrible. You know, sometimes they're just like, woof, yeah, okay, uh, swing and a miss. But yeah, this one, that one is, yeah, it's good. In fact, it's it's been on every iPod or device I've had in my, you know, big giant Dave's favorite songs shuffle playlist. That one is always <laughs> in there, you know. And it's funny because it'll come on and my wife will be like, Lost Boys, you know, every time it, it, it comes up on the mix. So yeah, the music's really good. And I think... You kind of hit it in the nail head there too. The the cinematography, you know, Joel Schumacher uh, shot the hell out of this movie, yeah. and uh, it, it has a very distinct visual style. Um, it, it, you know, if you've you know, once you see another Joel Schumacher movie, you kind of know, oh, okay, like, yep, that's his his style. And mm-hmm. well, you know. the. Um... <clears throat> The rewatch of The Lost Boys, in this case, it was sort of occasioned by rewatching Dracula, or as it's called in the United States, the horror of Dracula. The, basically, mm. it's the first one with Christopher Lee. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. I love that movie. I'd never seen it before, but the thing I've discovered with these old Hammer movies is every single one of them is just as good as the as the last. You know, pretty much satisfaction is guaranteed. And I enjoy it, and yet it does look like it's going pretty far out of its way to be this sort of uh, like English Gothic sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it, it's definitely it, it strives to be of that that sort of visual largesse, you know, what vampire films had been up to that point, and. Mm all the better for it. I mean, I love that movie and this is no criticism, but what I, especially in retrospect, what I just adore about the lost boys is how I like, I don't know if this is true, but I've got a feeling that if you were to sit Schumacher down and maybe get a couple beers in him, he would tell you that he intentionally, like he went far out of his way to basically tell what is when you think about it a kind of conventional vampire story but do it in a very slick and for its time very modern very 80s sort of aesthetic and he really did update the visual language of what a vampire movie could be such Mm -hmm. that every single vampire movie that has come out since then for the most part you can trace its roots it, it, in some lines oh, are straighter yeah. than others, but you can trace most of their roots back to this one thing. And when you think about it, I mean, what a ballsy decision that was, because you talk about, first off, this is already kind of a dusty genre to begin with anyway, but you're taking mm-hmm. that extra risk by breaking away from everything that had ever been done with, with this type of film. And I mean, he laughed all the way to the bank, but it may not have worked out that way. So, like, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I was I when I was reading up a little bit about it, um, I was shocked. Like, I didn't realize it before because I, I used to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, and like that show uh, for at least the first four seasons. Um, 
and you know they literally Josh Whedon just flat out admitted that like he just ripped off the look of his vampires straight from Lost Boys. <laughs> yeah. So okay. you can definitely see the influence, but yeah, no, this is this um very much this like 80s punk rock vibe, you know, the classic California beach town, you know, in the day and then it's funny cuz like there's not a lot of this movie um shot at daytime, you no. know. Uh, but when it is, it's very classic, you know, you can tell like, yep, it's California in the eighties, but, uh, then yeah, just the, the whole style of it. And it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever, you ever seen Flatliners, the movie he did like a couple of years later. Ages ago. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that in the, in the, of a lot of lost boys in, in that movie, uh, hmm. from, uh, from a stylistic standpoint, um, some of the camera, the way he worked the camera and a lot of the cinematography, but yeah, this one, um. Yeah, very different. Because I think, yeah, other than Fright Night, I'm trying to think of vampire movies I'd seen before this. And I know I'd seen a few of the old Hammer movies or whatever they used to show. There was a like a cheesy B-grade movie uh, shown every Saturday morning on one of the local cable access channels I had uh, mm. at my disposal when I was younger uh, back in the day. And they would show, you know, you get the, the the occasional vampire movie out of it. I think, I think the newest movie I'd seen was probably the one that John Williams did the score for. Uh, hmm. Can't remember the name of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was no, I'm blanking. Er, I would say it's like late '70s, early '80s. I think it was like Jack Palance was Dracula. Hmm. Um, How have I never heard of this? Yeah, it was one that like I remember. I think I'd seen that one before on hbo or cable um i mean let me just see if i'm uh, i'm trying to make sure i'm not but yeah I'm, and I think, I'm, yeah keep going I'll, I'll dig it up but yeah so but this one yeah it was just very very different um uh and i liked i don't know it was just cool you know i mean Kiefer in the 80s was cool you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh you know it had the two Corys in it and i've been a huge goonies fan and so you know that was a big uh, get for me uh, uh, to have Corey Feldman in there, you know, after after seeing Goonies. And I don't know. Did you did you ever in your any I don't know if you did any research or read up anything before uh, we got together to talk for this? Did you did you know the history between this movie and Goonies? I didn't. Uh, know I that. still don't know, apparently. OK, so this is interesting. So Richard Donner, who's an executive producer on this movie. Um, so he did Goonies, right. And wanted to do a follow-up movie in the same vein as Goonies and his, and his concept was taking Peter Pan's like lost boys, Mm -hmm. but turning them into vampires. Okay. So that was the Genesis, the original Genesis of the story for this movie. And, I, apparently one thing led to another and he ended up deciding to go make lethal weapon instead and, but still wanted this movie to get made and basically handed it off to Joel Schumacher. So, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. So it, the original version of the script, the, the vampires were kids mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and there was just, that was like, you know, the lost boys, they don't never grow old. They never died because they're all vampires. Yeah. Anyways, Okay. So it's supposed, to, you know, it's supposed to be a lot more 
closer to Goonies, a lot more lighthearted, a lot more kid friendly, but still, you know, there's vampires, but it's a lot more comedy. I think that's why there's a lot of comedy left in the script. But, you know, Schumacher got a hold of it, decided to age all everybody up, make it a lot more sexy, dangerous, older kids, you know, makes sense. Kind of thing. So, yeah, that uh, movie, by the way, uh, Dracula, 1979. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't seem to have a Wikipedia thing or at least none I can find. But yeah. The the, one with uh, Jack <clears throat> yeah, yeah. The. Um, you know, this whole business with. The cast of the movie, I mean, I, it, it, it is kind of weird that. When you start looking back, <clears throat> excuse me, when you start looking back at a lot of. Uh, Joel Schumacher's movies, he tends to have casts that really are not all that famous when they do mm-hmm. this movie, mm-hmm. but then they later go on to become like big superstars. Yeah. And uh, or at least at the time that the movie gets made. Now, what happens in the interim? Well, who knows? <clears throat> but something like uh, Batman Forever. Well, at the time that Schumacher was making that movie. I mean, yeah, Jim Carrey was kind of famous, but he wasn't Mr. Big Superstar Guy yet at at the time the movie was made. Now, by the time the movie came out, big difference. But at the time, you know, and same thing with with, uh, The Lost Boys, where Corey Feldman was famous to me because I'd seen The Goonies so many times and just totally loved it. Right. And he was in, I forget now, I can't remember which one, but he was he was in one of the Friday the 13th movies. But in the main, as far as like the public is concerned, this really was his breakout, you know. And mm. it's funny because, again, it's not his breakout for me. For me, he was big way before this, but <laughs> sometimes yeah. you're not necessarily on the same page. And this is just another example of sometimes Schumacher being pretty far ahead of the curve and I think that especially holds true for Keith, uh, for a Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever seen him, or I'd seen uh, uh, Stand by Me, but it—that was not his his part in that movie. Just didn't really stand out to me a whole lot. I, it, to me, it was more yeah. about the boys. And yeah. so it wasn't until years or not. It feels like years later, but it probably wasn't years later. But it wasn't until sometime after having seen uh, The Lost Boys for the first time yeah. that I saw Stand By Me. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's the it's the vampire guy. Yeah, yeah. OK, yeah. I remember this now. But he brought just this intensity to oh, yeah. that character. And the thing is. Especially when I was a kid, I was always very leery. Of, there's some probably some backstory that explains all of this, but we, I don't think we need to dwell on it here. Suffice it to say, I was always very keyed up, very alert to danger when I was a kid, mm. like a really young kid. And in this movie, Kiefer Sutherland set off every single alarm bell I've got, like, do not mess around with this guy. Like, you see him, you walk the other way. Um, and, but that's kind of who David is. I mean, he's kind of the gold standard of not to be messed with. Right. And so, um, and, and so watching, rewatching the movie now, it's just, you can enjoy, you know, the feast that is his performance because there's not a single bit of eighties cheesiness about it. He's he really is mad, bad and dangerous to know. Yeah. And I love that. It's it was like the kind of thrill scare, not like scary, scary, but it was more like the thrilling kind of scary when I was a kid. 
Now as an adult, I realize I can probably kick this guy's ass. I'm not too afraid of that. So now I can just enjoy (laughs) it, you know? Yeah. So. No, he was great. And I remember because at the time that I would kind of watch this movie regularly, you know, so we're talking like 89, 90, you know, in that vein. I remember I also kind of discovered Young Guns and Young Guns 2, you know. So Kiefer was a big, I, I really liked him at the time. Uh, around where this came out and he's you know i mean he he's the baddie for most of the movie you know mm-hmm. you don't max doesn't really come in until the very literally last, the last minute yeah <laughs> yeah so he carried you know yes and he does a great job i mean i think i don't think the movie would be the same without him you know because the other vampires they're just you know they are a little bit more 80s pretty boy a bit very much so very much they all look like they could have been an extra in a in a poison video you know, um, <laughs> something like that, <laughs> you know, so he definitely does the, the, the heavy lifting. Uh, but yeah, Schumacher, I, I definitely agree too. He's kind of one of those directors that, that does a great job of pulling together a good ensemble cast. Um, I, and I think that's one of the biggest strengths of the movie is all the different actors and how well they play off each other. Um, I know for me, especially too, like at the time that I saw the movie and the, and, you know, it's 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 more of a even though the kids are older mm-hmm. uh, than the original concept. You know, they're they're obviously and then of course they're teenagers by way of people playing. You know, people in their twenties and thirties playing teenagers. But um, I don't know. It's 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 the whole movie is from a kid's perspective. Yeah, which is kind of cool because it's like you know it's an R-rated adult movie, quote unquote, but. Uh, it's from the kid's point of view. So when you watch it, especially like you and I both watched it at a younger age, it's kind of like, oh, it's like a serious movie for us, which I really liked. Because I remember, I don't know about you, um, I remember liking, and I think it's, I kind of call it the Star Wars effect because Mm -hmm. I remember watching movies that were ostensibly for kids, you know, being shown those movies. And after I'd seen things, like Star Wars, I was like, I don't want to watch these kiddie movies, you know. Yeah. Especially if they're like a musical or something, you know. I'm just oh like, yeah, yeah. Like Hair Bears type stuff, yeah. Yeah, you know. <clears throat> so this was kind of cool because it kind of straddled that line between, you know, yeah, it's it's you know it's a little intense in t- points and it's got a little bit of language, but it's not overtly an R-rated movie. It's not overtly, you know, really. Um, as a kid, you can kind of enjoy it. You know, it doesn't talk down to you yeah. as a kid, you know? Yeah, no, so. I, I, I tend to agree with that. And honestly, like my way of processing movies, like when I was a kid, right. Mm-hmm. My way of sort of processing movies that had children featured prominently in them. It was the, would I be friends with this person type of thing? Because again, right. really keyed right. up, always looking out for the next threat or something like that. And so I tried to categorize everybody as safe or danger. And so watching the Goonies, like most of those mm-hmm. kids, I, I remember thinking, you know, I could, I could see myself being friends with just about any one of these kids. Right, right. You know, and in fact, even um, one of them, uh, Corey Feldman's character, Mouth, he even sort of remi- like in that movie, Corey Feldman reminded me of one of my cousins, not less so over yeah. time, but at that moment, they even kind of sort of looked alike too. That was something else. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, I could see being friends with, you know, any of these, any of these kids. 
Whereas you flip over to the Lost Boys, and it's like, I guess Sam was okay. But mm-hmm. when I was a kid, it's like, I don't think I, and I was even in, in the process of formulating that thought in my little, you know, elementary school brain. You know, I don't think I would want to hang out with any of these people. And then, <laughs> and then, star shows up it's like okay dear god yes i could i definitely want to be her friend absolutely (laughs) this oh yeah like so often you know you watch these movies and it's like a this you know hot little starlet she's brought out and it could just be the age thing you know like whenever you're that young anybody who's more than three years older than you they're old you know yes this was like the first time that I saw a quote unquote adult, well, not the first time, but one of the first times that I saw an, a, a supposed adult or at least significantly older person in a movie and thought, va, 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 boom. Right. And I hate to say it, but I mean, we are heterosexual men here, you know? Let's, yeah. Let's oh, not yeah. overlook the obvious, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was all about Star when the movie came out, you know? Um, and of course, yeah. And, and like having the same reaction, you can kind of like, okay, yeah. Yeah. When the movie starts to kind of revolve, when the plot moves to the point where it kind of revolves around, you know, the battle for star, it's like, yep, I can get behind this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, that doesn't take a whole lot of imagination. Yeah. I can right. definitely see that. Um, yeah, she can bite me anytime. Oh, whoa, whoa. We still report. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so there you go. And, well, and, uh, and, I, and I like what you said about like the kids, you know, like what I want to hang out with them, you know, or do I want to be that kid? Because that's the other thing, too. Like, I remember like some of the other 80s movies that were kind of kid centric, you know, they kind of had that trope going on of like, you know, most of the people in the movie are adults and they throw the kid in and, and for the kid to hang with the adults, he's got to be some kind of weird genius or something, you know, yes. the Wesley Crusher effect, you know, yeah, which just means that the kid becomes more obnoxious. And that's what I like about both this and Goonies. Like the kids are, um, they're just more normal. You know, yeah. they're they're not like super special in any way. Yeah, they're just kids reading comic books, hanging out. You know, just just kind of, and then shenanigans happen. So yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and the there was a, there was another obvious, well, for me, obvious uh, buy-in for this movie was. The comics, you know, because especially Mm. Sam was such a Superman comic book fan. And, well, I liked Superman comics. And so sometimes it's just these little similarities, you know. Now, as an adult, you know, you and I kind of have to acknowledge the comics that Sam is talking about and the comics that he is pointing to really have nothing to do with each other. (laughs) But. That's really a, more of a detail for like nitpickers. Like only people like you and me are going to yeah. be kind of put off by that. I think, you know, my older brother who doesn't give a damn about comics, I think he watches that and thinks, oh, okay, well, I didn't know that. And yeah. he just moves right along. Whereas I put on my nerd goggles and like, uh, excuse me, I, I do believe that that's not correct. And it's just the kind yeah. of thing that the kind of nitpickery that, let's face it, you kind of have to be a dork of two or three magnitudes to really... <laughs> I, know, I was I was watching that scene and I I was just sitting there and I was like I was just telling Joe I was like oh it's another one of those '80s movie scenes where I just wish I could walk on the set and kind of kind of scoop everything up 
and and put it in a box and just take it off with me you know just kind of just kind of go oh yeah let me just grab all this up and put it you know the other one was we watched poltergeist not too far back and i remember we were laughing like the kids room was filled with so much vintage star wars swag you know and it's like yeah let me just let me just yeah yeah just make off all this cool stuff but yeah, well, and it's funny you talk about you're in, you know, with comics. I know, and I think that's part of what resonated with me too. Is I, when I saw Lost Boys, I'd just come off of those two years of living with newly divorced mom, you know, the new stepdad showing up, mm-hmm. you know. So, so that that was all kind of pinging, resonating with me because I'd gone through that, you know. And I didn't want to throw that out there, but yeah, since you mentioned it, I was going to say, yeah, well, there is that that element you know yeah you know what i mean and it was kind of funny because i kind of relate to it because you know here comes max you know in the steal mom away and I'd, I'd had that you know there's a new stepdad who kind of stole mom away and you know and i also lived in there it was from phoenix so that was kind of funny and they were all you know they left phoenix to go live to to go move to the to uh, santa carla is it carla or Cara? i can't remember what they said i thought it was carla santa carla Santa and Carla. it's basic. Yeah. Let's face it; it really is Santa Cruz, but for some reason they don't want to call it that. But that's yes. what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think because of the the the, the murder capital of the wor- world <laughs> that they point out all the time, I think the real city didn't want anything to do with that. So that's understandable. Uh, but you know, I, I must say that's actually one of the things about the movie that this is going to sound maybe cynical or misanthropic or something. Yeah. But. One of the big conceits that the movie kind of asks the viewer to make is that all of these people are they're getting vanished into the night. Clearly, they're dead. They're getting there's something that's going on here. And it's like, right. Nobody's talking about it. You know, they're putting up like missing persons posters. But otherwise, no one's talking about it. There are no suspects and no one seems really all that all that put off by it. And honestly, of all the things, and this is not like a political thing at all, but I'm just saying that like of all the elements that make up this movie, that's yeah. one of the things that I actually find the easiest to believe because uh, just because of these just weird the, the, uh, inclinations or prejudices, limitations, weak spots, I, I don't know. But yeah. it's the amount of crap that most people are willing to live with in their day-to-day lives. And it's like, this is insane. Uh, yeah. Like, no one should have to live with live this way. But it's like, number one, we are. And number two, virtually no one is raising an alarm on this, you know? And that's yeah. about as, you know, I, I think it better if I keep it a little vague, but it's just, you probably know what I'm talking about, you know, living where you do. It's like, yeah. no one should have to live like this. And yet, and so that's one of the big elements of this movie that you, that you're yeah. asked to believe in that. I, I don't know about you. I don't struggle with that aspect of it at all. No, that's probably no. the easiest thing to believe. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I remember, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you are. And I remember like the early eighties, there was the whole like satanic panic, you know, And everybody was like worried about like, you know, that Dungeons and Dragons was making kids weird and stuff. And so by the time this movie came out, that 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 whole era had kind of passed. But but the real latchkey kid thing had kind of come into swing, you know, and so there was kind of this weird thing about, you know, part of the fabric of of the 80s, especially. And it was being represented in 
TV and movies and culture and stuff was this idea of like, you know, kids in trouble, you know, kids, kids having a hard time. And so they didn't really go that route in the plot too much. And I think maybe that's probably because the script had started as a, as a very much a kid movie. And then right. Schumacher had kind of aged it up, you know, with all the actors and, and the situations that are going on. So he probably dropped more of those plot lines, I would imagine. Right. So, well, and, and the thing too is this, this movie is pretty lean and mean. I think it's just over an hour and a half. Right. And my suspicion is that there might've been more of that plot. Um, had the movie had a little more of running time. And from what I understand, like it had its budget slashed yeah, like in half right before the starting of filming, wow. which is why, which is why the first half of the movie, there's a lot of camera doing the flying for the vampires. Yeah. Trick, trickery one, which is, you know, but again, I think Schumacher made it work. You know, that's, that's, that's good directing right there is making do with what he, what he had to work with. So he could save a lot of the vampire effects and prosthetics and stuff for the, the second half of the movie. Um, well, but there's yeah. that whole shark and jaws thing where yes. it's sometimes not for everything. There are times right. when you really do need to see the monster, but there are, there's also, right. I don't know. Sometimes it's, it's just as good, if not better when it's left to your imagination, like how horrifying that must've really been. Cause yeah. if you think about yeah. how cheesy that could have looked, like even if they had the budget for it, how cheesy that might've looked to see Kiefer Sutherland on wires or, you know, I don't right. know. Right. A lot of them flying around. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah, especially for the time period, you know, um, you know, Richard Donner had done it with Superman, mm -hmm. but <laughs> this movie wasn't going to have that budget No, and Richard was out. And so I think if it had stayed Richard's movie, I think there probably would have been a lot of flying kids. And again, that was when it was more Peter Pan and mm -hmm. his lost boys flying around. So I'm sure that's where that came from. I'm sure that was the genesis because I don't think I can't think of any other vampire movie I've seen where you really see a lot of flying Dracula. I mean, you know, if you don't count him turning into a bat and flying around like just vampires flying, I can't think of one like right off the top of my head, you know, is yeah. that like one of the vampire powers per se? Well, so, I mean, don't don't mistake me for an expert on vampire lore but right. the only other instance i can think of apart from the bat thing like you say the yeah. only other instance i can think of where a vampire flies or, or does anything really to defy gravity mm -hmm. and it got it's been forever since i've seen this movie but um i believe it was interview with the vampire where uh, yeah. i want to say it was brad pitt goes overseas he's hanging out in london like 19th century london and he encounters a vampire and it's like basically what the moral of that scene is to say that vampires in different areas are going to have different capabilities. So just because you, Brad Pitt, you think you know what what vampires are up to here, you don't like you really shouldn't think that, you know, everything there is to know, because here's one that can mm. you know do that. And and so I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, but I, it's been forever. So he may not have been flying. He may have just had. Some other, I, I forget what, but it, I swear to think there's something like that in that movie. I could be wrong yeah. though. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so I, I think, yeah, it's, it, it, and definitely for the time period, there's a little bit of, you know, I, I find it in my own work, you know, that there's creativity, um, 
I feel like sometimes extra creativity comes out of the restrictions more mm-hmm. than freedoms, you know? So, um, and I think that's why a lot of the eighties movies that are in the realm, of what we call genre films, whether it's horror, sci-fi, fantasy, anything with special effects and whatnot, right. there is some, a lot of special movies that have come out of that time period because I think, and I think we're finally working our way out of it or Hollywood is, I should say, you know, they kind of went crazy once CGI got in their hands and they were yeah. like, we can do whatever we want. And it's like, yeah, but you're not really giving us anything cool, you know? So, um, I think now that you know, there's better filmmakers nowadays have learned to, to dial it back that just because you can CGI everything under the sun, it's not, doesn't actually make the greatest, uh, you know, sometimes less is more, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Well, so. I think CGI is at its best when it works as you're enhancing something that's happening in camera. Right. When this becomes the centerpiece of it, <clears throat> there's just there's something that gets lost, you know, and <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but the it, basically this was God, this was ages ago. It was when the um, the Indiana Jones at the time, there were only three of them, but the Indiana Jones movies came out on on DVD and. Yeah. There's this little featurette with uh, <clears throat> with Spielberg. He's sitting there and he's uh, telling this this story, and you actually see the scene from the movie that he's talking about, and also the the BTS stuff. He says that there's this po- there's this point in the movie, The Last Crusade, where a bunch of Nazis they basically fall off a bridge and plummet to their doom. And it, this was made in the '80s, so instantly you know this is done practical, right? Yeah. So what what Spielberg did not want, I mean, obviously they're going to have to drop dummies, but he didn't want them to look like dummies, obviously. Yeah. So um, they rigged up some mannequins and they basically they they basically jiggered uh, the legs of the mannequins enough. They added enough mobility to them and their arms and elbows where their limbs are going to there's going to be a little bit of movement to them as they fall to their death, because if it looks like it's dummies, then you instantly, you, you lose the peril. Whereas if it, if they just move in a sort of human like way, even just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit, then that really does sell the illusion. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that intellectually, when you watch it, you know, this has to be a dummy. It has. Yeah. Yeah. But it's sometimes it's just those little flourishes. Now, in today's world, what you could do is just CGI a bunch of people falling off a bridge, and then that's that. But it kind of makes you wonder, what if you just CGI'd part of a dummy, or rather you built part of a dummy, dropped that off a bridge, and then you added CGI limbs to it, and then you can have the enhancement. You know, there is something real that's falling. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't have that overtly fake quality to and i don't know i mean to this is basically just me agreeing and amplifying this <laughs> is this is i think this movie benefits from zero cgi yeah you know what well, few gains you might make are going to instantly be lost by ugh. yeah yeah because it's one of those things that's interesting because you know you'd think um you know you could make I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of different ways you could make a vampire movie now and CGI could help you, but I don't know. It's interesting because like movies and movie making in general, I feel like 
the irony is again, again, when I think about like what I call the Star Wars effect and like how it changed movies is like we want to see very realized movie worlds. Mm-hmm. I think you know, at least that's what I want to see. I want to see like places I could never go and things that I could never do is what I want to see in movies. But then it's also you're also part of a movie is seeing things from a human perspective. You know, that's how you get into the character. So there's a little bit of that's where the acting comes in is their responses, you know, but I don't want one of those movies. Like I remember as a kid realizing like old movies felt like old movies because they were just, you know, they were stage plays being filmed with a camera. Pretty Um, much. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So you want something a little bit more than that. But but if it's all just CGI, if it's all just. It loses kind of that intimacy, you know, and then you're just kind of like. It's like you're watching a, a weird, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I feel like the best filmmakers find the balance, you know. And I guess that's why I'd point you to somebody like a like a like a Spielberg or a Cameron, you know, who knows how to show you really cool things you haven't seen before, but also they know how to put people in there, because honestly, what what that's your end of the movie is you you transposing yourself into the character in the movie you know and so like in this case for us like in lost boys it's all about like you know a story that's compelling because you could see yourself as the comic book loving nerdy kid whose older brother suddenly becomes a a half vampire (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know and and what ensues from that um so uh yeah and Lost Boys, I think that's that's one of the things I like about it too. Is it, it's it's um, it's kind of like a, one of those fun movies that kind of gets going and never really lets up, which I like that a lot in my movies. You know, I like a movie that just kind of keeps moving, um, not like out of control, like a, a like Aliens, <laughs> but. <laughs> But just something that kind of keeps moving, you know what I mean? And and maybe I appreciate that more because, um, you know, one of the the horrible realities of life is you slowly see yourself turning into your parents. And so I finally reached that point where um, if a movie gets slow enough, I may fall asleep during it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's sadness. But. um, Well, I. I, there's there's a, a a trap that I do want to spring on you now. Um, sure. Didn't want to warn you about this, but yeah, there is That's something. Fine. The uh, I'm of the opinion that if you make a movie about anything that's really like way out there, fantastical, right? Yeah. Yeah. You need to have points of view on that, and just to kind of tell you what I mean, like if you watch yeah. Star Wars '77, yeah, you have points of view. You've got um, you've got the true believer and then you've got the hardened skeptic, right? Yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi, he is a Jedi, okay? He's he's yeah. lived with this his entire life. He's trained for this his entire life. He knows what the Force is. He knows that it's real. Mm-hmm. The viewer doesn't, at least not necessarily. So on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the hardened cynic and Han Solo, you know, simple tricks and nonsense, no substitute for a good blaster at your side, kid, and all right. that. Right. And that is that's not the foundation of the movie, but let's be realistic that that is accounting for different parts of the audience. You know, they now both 
Yeah. <clears throat> they both have that as their mouthpiece. And what I like about The Lost Boys is that it takes that same basic paradigm. You've got the hardened skeptic on the one hand and then the true believers on the other. Sam doesn't believe in vampires, doesn't want anything to do with it. And pretty much until he sees evidence floating outside of his window that vampires are real, right. he's not going to buy into this stuff. Whereas the Frog Brothers, they've been there. They know it. They are the true believers. Yeah. And I like that there is not even so much a meeting of the minds. Basically, Sam has to admit, hey, I was wrong. I need your help. What can you do? <laughs> Yeah, And so I just wanted to run that by, actually, I got a couple of follow-up questions to that, but I guess to start yeah. with, like, how do you get into that dynamic or do you even care about it? Um, no, and I, I, I like that dynamic too, especially because I think when I think back on a lot of my favorite movies, I think that's why I like the story um, because there's also that main character in the middle that kind of is the surrogate for myself that is like, you know, starts out the story as just the regular person and then slowly gets pulled into it. And then, you know, things happen. The, the, the Bilbo effect, you know, right. okay. I'm sitting, at, I'm sitting at home, minding my own business and a wizard shows up and shenanigans and ensue, you know, <laughs> <laughs> okay. you know, and by, and by the end I've gone on the unadventure and, um, I'm not the same hobbit that I once was, you know, and so, yeah, and I like and that's that's one of the, I think that's one of the uh, again one of the brilliant parts about the, especially the original Star Wars is you know Luke is us you know, right. and and I think that's why it, it also was so great because you know not only is he us like oh I'm just you know I'm a nobody I'm a regular person and I'm drawn into this crazy battle with space wizards you know but then he's like but then you know in the middle everyone's like well do you want to be a space wizard you know <laughs> <laughs> and of course you know the answer is hell yes I want to be a space wizard. You know, so and I love that. I think that's one of the reasons why I think, at least for my money, the sequel trilogy works really well, because you also get another person that's like, you know, essentially like minding their own business on a backwater planet, you know, and they get the call of, hey, want to come be a space wizard? You know, so um, and that's what I kind of like about this, too. Like, you know, the Lost Boys, it's all about, you know, again, again, I'm a regular kid, you know, I'm going to live with my grandpa in this crazy weird ass house. <laughs> you know, and he keeps giving me stuff to animals and I don't want them. Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, actual <laughs> animals that are stuffed, not toys. And, yeah. you know, and, and then he's, <laughs> you know, and then and then kind of things happen. And in this case, I think that's why, you know, with the scary movie, it's you don't want the adventure to happen, you know, but you kind of do. And, and I and I like the idea of I've always liked the monster movies where there's the very much like here's the monster, here's how you defeat the monster, and the monster gets defeated. So, um, oh, Fair enough. It was yeah, my only... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to actually switch gears, so if you got something more, yeah. go for it. No, 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 no. No, you're good. All right. Um, one of the things about the Frog Brothers, um, this <laughs> again, this is kind of a, a key element of the movie, is, as I say, they are the true believers. And one gathers that they're not the only people in town that know what's really going on, but they're, they're some of yeah. the few. They're two of the very few that, that see the, the full picture. And right. so they basically they market their services to Sam like, hey, 
number one, this is something you need to be aware of. And number two, if you find it, don't be a hero. Call us. We'll deal with it. And my question for you, <clears throat> mm-hmm. purely opinion, I don't think there is a right or a wrong answer. Yeah. Is this their first rodeo? Is this the first time they've gone up against vampires? I or... think it is. I think it is. Watching it last night, that was my thought about it. You know, I I, I, I think <laughs> that's – and honestly, like, it's not a criticism, but I almost wish that was a little bit more fleshed out in the movie because I kind of feel like that they're – they're kind of like the kids, you know, they're, they work in the comic book shop. They like the horror comics. They, they've been seeing all this stuff and they're, and they're believing, Hey, I think there's real vampires, but I don't think they've ever, ever been able to do anything about it. And then all this happens. Cause like, cause you know, you get to that last, uh, which part is it? Yeah. They go into the lair and you know, when they first look up and they see those guys hanging there, they freak out as much as Sam does. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're all like, Ooh, you know, and I, I, so I, I, I think it is, I think they've seen just enough that they're almost positive. You know, they obviously believe, but I don't think they've actually had any dealings with anything. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, what I took from this is, you know, based on just comments and things that they made. Yeah. That Number one, they're not as seasoned as they make themselves out to be. I mean, no. there are just too many gaps in their knowledge for me to think that Marco was the first or, or was anything other than their first. Yeah. Having yeah. said that, basically, this is something I do whenever I watch a movie. I just try to figure out the backstory of certain characters. Yeah. And something that I thought was kind of plausible is that, you know, they they work on the boardwalk. They've... You know, they've been living in this town presumably their entire lives. So mm-hmm. instantly they know that there's a huge missing persons epidemic that's going on right now. And, you know, they work in, let's face it, a pretty dangerous area, you know, unbeknownst to most other people. But I think yeah. they, one or both of them, they had near misses. You know, they, Maybe they were uh, walking home. They ended up working too late one night, walking home, and some vampire or group of vampires, they made an unsuccessful attempt on the Frog Brothers. And so whatever doubts they may have they may have once had yeah, get tossed aside. But it's like at the same time, they don't really have a plan. They're still – I mean they may be knowledgeable, but they're still just kids. Let's be real. Right. And so right. there are limits to how much they can really do. There's they have limited intel. There's not a whole lot that they that, that they're able to do other than prepare and hope that someday they get their shot. And yeah. so I get the idea that they that a lot of their knowledge about vampires comes from comic books and what we discover as the movie unfolds is that some of this information is true, other information is not true. Like this whole yeah. idea of uh, like a crucifix. I don't know if that's even really addressed in the movie, but the holy water and other things mm. that those that's a legit weapon, whereas garlic is not a weapon. You know, they they will have yeah. reflections and mirrors. There are a lot of revisions to vampire lore in this movie, like established vampire lore. Yeah. And I don't know if that's good or if that's bad, but I did at least appreciate that somebody had their thinking cap on, tried to get rid of some of the more nonsensical stuff like why would a vampire be vulnerable to garlic but it gives the frog brothers things to learn 
you know, and they're obviously terrified every time they have any kind of uh, close encounter, as it were, with yeah with vampires. They're they're scared out of their minds, but they still have this. Even if it's completely imaginary, all this training and prep that they've put themselves through that can see them through. And of course, it's really Nanook that saves their that saves their lives. But <laughs> still, they at least set the trap. I mean, they, they were not powerless, you know. Right. And I like that, you know. And um, it's actually I, and I don't want to necessarily go too far afield, but I do at least want to ask you this. Um, when it comes to the Lost Boys, for me. This is really it. You know, I don't really need more movies, I don't think. And so, yeah, I've never felt any great desire to watch the sequels. But have you watched the sequels? And if so, what are your oh, thoughts? No. Uh, no, I haven't. No, I, I remember reading about them and I remember hearing about them. Right. And I was and I was like, uh, no, <laughs> uh, especially because I remember they kind of came out during the the two Corys, like the show, uh, you know, when they were doing their reality show and they were kind of, yeah, I was, yeah. No, I I think this one's good. I know there was, it's interesting. I guess they were trying to, and they were actually planning on doing a Lost Girls sequel um, very soon after this movie came out. Really? But yeah, they wanted to do a follow up that was, you know, the Lost Girls and kind of, you know, just, just, you know, because it was a catchy title, I they thought, but I, it never happened. But no, this one's this one's good. I think it, it ends on such a great note that I don't know, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to see a follow up unless it was, you know, made eighteen months after this one and you had the cast return and that kind of thing, but. This is also from that era that sequels typically were not good. Right. <laughs> it was yeah, a we... very rare bird to get a good sequel to anything, you know. Um, and this is, you know, people didn't sign up to to I have, I'm contractually obligated to appear in three of these movies. You know, that wasn't a thing back then. So, yeah. no, I'm, I'm good with it. I, I like this one. And, and it's 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 pretty tied up pretty well in the bow, you know. Um, yeah, and that's honestly that was sort of my thought about it. The um, <clears throat> now I did see like the first five or ten minutes of there are three of these things, and I've seen like yeah. the first five or ten minutes of whatever the second one is. Yeah. And I'm going to be totally honest about it. it. It even looked, based on what little I saw, it didn't look half bad. But it's like at the same time, you know, do you need a sequel to Pulp Fiction or The Big Lebowski or Magnolia? I mean. Didn't we say what we needed to say already? And it, I don't know. So yeah. They're, yeah. for all I know, those yeah. could actually be great movies. But I just this, as you say, this is from a time period when movies weren't necessary. I would not even were sequels not necessarily planned or necessarily good. I think that in a lot of cases, these movies, they weren't really designed to support a sequel. No, no, they really weren't. They were not. um no, they, they really weren't for the most part. You usually had to stretch. Um, that's why some of the best sequels were such uh, – it almost made them better just because they were able to pull them off um, where they were able to write a story that it was a convincing follow-up. In this situation, I don't know if you – you know, other than I – th- I, I know that the sequels, I think, have revolve around the Frog Brothers. 
That's so, my understanding, yeah. Which which I think, honestly, like if you're going to go any route, that's probably the most likely one. I can't imagine any of the other characters in the first movie wanting anything to do with, with anything else after that. Yeah. Um, you know, so. But, um, yeah, no, this is good. And I liked, I liked that, um, you know, they, they kind of... Yeah, they, they, I don't see anything to do with any any more of these characters, really, other than, um, you know, maybe find out how old Star and the other kid were. Maybe that might be an interesting, you know, if they were actually a lot older than you thought they were, but I don't know. <laughs> well, Although, gotta... considering they were only the half vampires, they couldn't have been that. They probably weren't that, uh, hadn't been vampires that long. Yeah, I'm, I guess, like, again, trying to imagine backstory for these characters, I always sort of assumed <clears throat> that uh, the main vampires, however old they were, mm -hmm. they basically kind of considered Star and uh, the kid, uh, Laddie, I think is his name. Yes. They they basically kind of considered them almost like pets in a way. And yeah, so, so they... They probably uh, turned uh, turned to them one day just out of sheer boredom, I would imagine. Because if you think about it, it's completely possible that uh, that David, for example, is like 80 or 90 years old. I mean, we don't really know. Yeah. And he does seem to have a certain kind of immaturity about him. But I mean, honestly, who's to say? And so yeah. – well, there was supposed to be like I guess there was a, a, a after credit scene that they were going to film that they never did, oh. where 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 you were going to see um, they were just going to show you another shot of the the sunken hotel, and there was supposed to be like a mural in there that was going to basically you're basically going to be led to, you, it was going to show Max and all four of the boys like back from the 1920s or whatever. Oh wow! So you so you were going to at least know that they'd been around that long, so that they'd kind of been. Um, yeah, and I, I noticed in this last rewatch, you know, I kind of paid attention to the whole star storyline and, you know, and I gather that, you know, when she comes to tell, uh, Michael about what's going on, you know, when she shows up at his house and basically floats up to his room and kind of, you know, you were supposed to, he, Michael was supposed to be her kill. So I think that, you know, like David wanted star around, but in order to keep star around, she wanted him to, you know, he needed Star to kill somebody, but Star liked Michael rather than David. Right. So that that whole dynamic was kind of there. They didn't really flesh that out too, too terribly much, you know. So because because David, uh, to Michael's face, just kept telling him, you know, join us, be one of us, you know. So I don't know if if Michael had joined the dark side, if that had even worked out, really. I think David just wanted to kill him. The whole time, I don't think he ever really wanted him around. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't either. I mean, I could argue that either way, I suppose. So, yeah. All right. Well, I guess just to sort of wind things up, um, do you have any parting shots about this movie? Any any stones that we haven't turned over yet? So I'm I'm weird. I, I'm really into sets and production design, and of course, you know, considering my chosen vocation i'm always into like cool houses and stuff in uh in movies grandpa's house was pretty crazy <laughs> i guess they they filmed the exterior at an actual location the, the interiors were all on a on a sound stage and set but i uh i really wouldn't want to clean up that kitchen after what happened 
in the movie. That was really gross. That was Um, disgusting. (laughs) Yes. I had to laugh, though. My grandpa also had a section of the fridge that was off limits to anybody but him. So that was kind of hilariously uh, true to life in my case. Um, (laughs) Well, like the thing uh, that, uh, that I liked about his section uh, I don't know if you remember this, but when he opens up the little flap to his to his like cordoned off area, yeah. there's a box of peanut butter boppers. You remember those? Wow. Yes. God, I loved yes. those things. So I saw that. And again, it's just these weird little buy ins. But it's like, yeah, he likes them, too. Go, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and I'm, you know, and I, he had his double stuffs, you know, and I was just like, oh, yes. You know, I'm 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 weird again, like. uh uh, the whole vintage packaging thing, you know, I don't know. It's just psh, weird, but mm-hmm. I remember anyways, but yeah, grandpa, what a killer last line. Uh, I love the way the movie ends with him. Um, you know, I've like, actually like, got it. I, I've got it right here. Um, it says one thing about living in Santa Clara. I never could stomach all the damn vampires. <laughs> well, and it's, and I, I never noticed as a kid just how like he's very like like a nutty old man through kind of most of the movie. Like he mm-hmm. does, seems like he's just clueless, you know, at one point when they take his car and they come back, you know, and and Michael's standing on the staircase like he's got star wrapped up, you know, mm-hmm. he looks like he's been through the they, they just they just finished killing uh, Marco. They're covered. <laughs> they're covered in glittery vampire goo. And grandpa just looks at him and is like, you know, the rule about having to fill up my car when you take it without asking. Right. You know, and Michael's like, no. And he's like, well, now you do. And then he just walks off, you know, like, like, like that's the bad part. You know, like, you that's know, like, the weird part. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's just playing it totally aloof. I, I yeah, that was that. I think, man, they should have put more grandpa on that. He was just nuts, you know? And that was the other thing too. I noticed last night. My, my last little thought about that was I kind of, I kind of chuckled, and because Joy was like, she's like, why are they covered in glitter? You know, because they they get out to the grandpa's car after killing Marco, and they're covered in slime, and it's literally glitterly. It's like they're covered in glitter. And yeah. all I could say to that was like, well, I guess that's where Stephanie Meyer got her idea for sparkly vampires. <laughs> um, oh, so good. And there you go. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we knew we were going to mention Twilight eventually, didn't we? So, there right. you go, guys. There you go. <laughs> Done. Did it. All right. Well, uh, I guess for me, I guess my parting shot uh, for this for this film is, uh, you know, it's sometimes it's the it's you don't always necessarily know. I mean, I I said earlier that, okay, here we go. Boom. Instant classic. And indeed it was, but it's like, you don't, you don't necessarily know over, over the years, just how much enjoyment you get out of a movie until you've been living until you like, you look back on it. It's like, my God, I've been living with this thing for like 20 some odd years or, or however long. And it's, it's still good. It still holds up. I mean, there are parts of any number of movies that just kind of get a little dated after a while. They kind of start showing their age a little too much. And that is just not the case with, with the lost boys where, I mean, it's, it, it, it it is vintage. I mean, there's no denying that, but it's like the, the quality of it, the goodness of it endures. And it's not just any movie 
that you can say that about. And so to me, that's one of the real strengths of this film. And I, that's pretty much it uh, for me, unless you've got something else. So just want to thank you again for taking the time to join in Uh, for those listening who are not privy to all the behind the scenes baloney. That's you, you guys just would not believe some of the nonsense that's gone on trying to get together with Dave. He's had his issues, and then not to be outdone, I yeah, you know, I had my issues, and it was it was it was kind of on a wing and a prayer that we were able to make this make this happen. But I'm glad that we did. So, Dave, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I don't really know for sure when this episode's going to come out because I've got right. at the time that you and I record this, I've got this mega series coming up called "These Seven Men Are Disrupting the Comic Book Industry." It's all about image uh, comics and stuff. And so I'm thinking this is going to come out sometime after that, which puts us pretty well into like June or something like that. Thanks. So um, anyway, so I mean, I guess if I was better at planning. Well, you know, it's fitting. It's fitting because this movie starts out in the summer and uh, it'll be hot and sweaty here. And, uh, you know, everybody can think about that. That hot, sweaty sax player. Just. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, dancing w- as he's yeah. <laughs> WWF sax man. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the title of the episode. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Dave, thanks a lot again for. Uh, oh, um, a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, happy, ha- happy to do it. And so, I think that's pretty much it for me for this week. So, bye, everybody. I will see you next week. Hallelujah, we are out. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, 
All feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens and dozens of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise! Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And, just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. Italy.